This morning, we'd like to begin the practice of uh, working with uh, several issues in daily life. And over the course of the next few days, we'll give a number of perspectives and um, concrete practices having to do with speech, with relationships, with work, and with conflict. The themes are interrelated. (laughs) And uh, it's especially useful in in, uh, moving to work with these concrete areas uh, to remember the idea of the threefold training, which is the very traditional sense of how one would train as a monk or a nun or as a practitioner in Buddhist tradition for 2,500 years. And that threefold training really could be a way of um, having perspective or thinking about each of these areas of speech and uh, relationships, uh, work and conflict. And those three areas, again, to remind us, are the areas of uh, ethics or working with the ethical precepts, uh, meditation and wisdom. And I thought I would just read as a reminder, just a little bit about the ethical precepts because it's, it's helpful just to recall and to, in a way, renew our uh, commitment, understanding that we each may interpret them a little bit differently. This is from the Buddha. He says, If anyone with a pure heart undertakes a commitment to virtue another uh, synonym, really, for ethics. We could also think of leading a life of integrity. If anyone with a pure heart undertakes a commitment to virtue or integrity, to refrain from harming and taking life, from taking what is not given, from sexual actions that lead to harm, from problematic speech, from not taking strong drink and sloth-producing drugs... that constitutes a sacrifice better than giving alms, better than giving shelter, and better than going for refuge. And elsewhere he says, the ethical precepts are a vehicle of happiness, a vehicle of good fortune, a vehicle for liberation. Let our virtue therefore be purified and shine forth. And so uh, we can also... Uh, consider that in each of these areas, the training in meditation is especially about cultivating mindfulness and cultivating loving kindness, precisely the practices which we're doing uh, much of the day. And then in terms of cultivating wisdom, we can really consider each of these areas, particularly in the light of the teaching that Mary gave from uh, last night, the teaching of the four truths, the four sometimes called ennobling or noble truths the truth that there is suffering, the truth that there are causes or roots of suffering, the understanding that it's possible to uh, transform ourselves and situations such that there is no longer suffering in the sense of um, reactivity to, to what is, to pushing away or grabbing hold of some experience. And then fourthly, that there is a concrete, very practical path of transformation So today, we'll focus particularly on speech. And we'll do this through 
some short talks and a number of practical exercises which you can take home. At the end of the morning, I'll give several handouts which summarize some of what we've done. So you'll have your little toolkit that you can take back into your problematic relationships of speech, (laughs) which are waiting at this very moment for you. Uh, So speech is really a kind of foundational uh, area, foundational practice, that in some ways, as we work on speech, we also train for our work in relationships and work and and in conflict. And, And so some of the practices that we'll do really we'll continue with in, in all of the days. I wanted to read first uh, a, a, an understanding of what I like to call wise speech. Uh, traditionally, right speech is the usual translation of what the Buddha uh, talked about. Sometimes right has a little bit of a dogmatic quality, so I like to use the, the phrase wise speech. So this is what Thich Nhat Hanh said about wise speech. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I vow to learn to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I am determined not to spread news that I do not know to be certain, and not to criticize or condemn things of which I am not sure. I will refrain from uttering words that can cause division or discord or that can cause the family or the community to break. I will make all efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. That's one vision of what this practice of speech is, and it's such an important uh, focus, such an important practice that... uh, We know that when we're not skillful in speech, one or two words can cause ourselves or others to be inflamed for for weeks, for hours, for long periods of time. That we can, with our unskillful words, um, lead to conflicts. We know that words uttered in the realm of politics can cause wars as well as bring about reconciliation. And so it's an incredibly important area. It's also uh, possible that through our speech we can open up uh, love, that we can transform conflicts, that we can heal. And we know also that um, choice words, a few words, can bring incredible relief to someone who is um, in turmoil at times that a caring word, even just a few words, actually sometimes not even necessarily any words, just our presence, but but words definitely can can be incredibly healing. I like the phrase that I heard from, not directly, but heard of, from the uh, uh, great Jewish writer and mystic, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who walked with Martin Luther King. And he had a phrase uh, that he called holiness in words. That was what he aspired to with his own practice of speech, holiness in words. And I'm also reminded there's a a beautiful uh, Japanese understanding that every word has a quality of spirit to it. That with with our choice of words, when we choose certain words, when we speak certain words, 
we pass on the spirit of the words. It's a beautiful sense of what's possible with our practice. And it's also uh, a practice that is uh, so central for most of us. I would probably say virtually all of us that um, we talk a lot. And when we don't talk outwardly, guess what? (laughs) We talk inwardly. We talk inwardly, um, if not all the time, a tremendous amount. (laughs) And so uh, if we can begin to have our speech become continuous with our mindfulness practice, continuous with our loving-kindness practice, guess what? All of a sudden, there are no more complaints of too little time to practice. It can really change things. What would it be like if if you're talking eight or nine or ten hours a day? Guess what? You can be, we can be practicing. We can in some ways, and it it takes um, um, effort and time to to remember to practice and to bring that quality, but potentially we can be uh, cultivating these qualities of awareness, mindfulness, loving kindness, concentration, uh, in a good part of our days, if we can learn to work more fully with speech as a practice. And so what we'd like to do uh, today is to give uh, a, a number of different perspectives. This morning, I'll particularly focus on two perspectives on speech, each of them followed by uh, a practice. And we'll have time to debrief and talk about what it was like. I'll first talk about the core ethical guidelines that the Buddha gave when he talked about speech. Several directives, really, for how to, um, how to consider, how to reflect on how we speak. And then we'll do a, an exercise or a practice that will work with those guidelines. And then secondly, we'll work particularly with cultivating mindfulness in speech. How do we, how do we stay mindful as we speak, as we listen? as we're involved with the act of speech. And then we'll do another exercise uh, after that. This afternoon, we'll have a fairly short session, and we'll particularly focus, this will be led by by Mary, we'll particularly focus on the quality of listening as an important aspect of speech. And then in the evening, I'll give a a short talk, shorter than... um, shorter than Mary gave, maybe 20 minutes, I'll try to summarize and take us a little bit further, depending partly on what happened during the, the day regarding speech. And then we'll have some time to talk together about what, what it's been like, what's the day been like, what are your reflections. We'll have some time to talk together, cultivating mindfulness and wisdom at the very moment we speak. And so I, I'd even invite you right now, as you listen, as we're involved in speech here, Just consider what would it be like to bring your mindfulness, the qualities we've been developing the last day, what would it be like to connect with uh, that even as you listen? And I'll just throw out a few hints, and we'll actually have a number of concrete uh, tools. But one tool that a lot of people use to help with listening and to be mindful is to have a little bit of connection with our bodies, it kind of takes us out of the uh, sort of the automatic mental quality that we sometimes, or the mental world that we sometimes get in when we talk. 
it helps to give a little bit of space, like the question that uh, Steve asked and that Mary responded to. We have, a, we have a larger awareness around the speech, and sometimes being aware of the body can help do that. And a little, maybe a little bit of listening at the same time that we're listening externally to listen internally if there are any reactions or thoughts or, you know, oh, I've been doing that. Oh, I thought that. Oh, that's nonsense. <laughs> oh, or whatever, whatever our internal uh, process is. So the Buddha, when he was talking about speech, liked to talk about four, sometimes five, different uh, aspects of our speech that align us with the cultivation of wisdom and mindfulness and compassion. And I'll read um, a few statements from the Buddha, but I wanted to start with this one. He said, a statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by, un, by uh, knowledgeable people. Which five? As you know, the Buddha liked to give lists. That was because it was an oral tradition and people had to find ways of being able to remember. They relied much more on memory. They didn't have handouts at the Buddha's talks. <laughs> and so he, he liked to give lists and uh, here is a list of five, five aspects of speech, of, of, of right speech or wise speech. It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. I'll read those again. It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. And at other times he talked about four qualities. And um, what I'd like to do is to uh, talk about, uh, identify four qualities, which really in a way bring together two of the ones that were mentioned just now. But I find this a helpful way to think about these qualities. And those, those uh, qualities are truthfulness, helpfulness, kindness or warmth, and then what I, we might call appropriateness, which involves good timing. I was talking with Mary earlier, and she said, you know, good timing is really key <laughs> for speech. So the last one is appropriateness, which can include good timing, uh, maybe non-distractedness, sometimes uh, having a clear intention about what we're doing. And so I'd like to talk about each of those four qualities, and then we'll do some speech ourselves in, uh, with a partner, and we'll practice the speech. So... So here's the first quality of truthfulness, and this is, this is um, I'll be giving, for each of the qualities, I'll be giving some words from another passage that, uh, of the Buddha. So here's the first quality of truthfulness. Abandoning false speech, one abstains from false speech. One speaks truth, adheres to truth, is trustworthy and reliable, is one who is no deceiver of the world. Abandoning false speech, one abstains from false speech. One speaks truth, adheres to truth, is trustworthy and reliable, is one who is no deceiver of the world. And this quality of truthfulness is sometimes said to be the most important quality of speech. You know, it's, it's said um, 
In the Mahayana tradition, it's said that the bodhisattva, the being who is dedicated to helping others awake as well as awakening oneself, can at different occasions sometimes violate some of the ethical precepts, but not truthfulness. It's interesting, right? Can sometimes do things which bend the rules for the sake of doing what's helpful in the situation, but one doesn't bend it with truthfulness. It's interesting. And when we look into truthfulness, when we take truthfulness as a guideline, we not only vow to speak truthfully, but we also, in a way, when we work with it, a lot of what happens when we work with these guidelines is that we start becoming aware, uh, certainly, of places where we violate the, the guideline, but especially places, I think, probably for most of us, where we go into the gray areas. I'm reminded a, a friend of mine has, um, has this wonderful uh, phrase which she says um, she wants to write a book and possibly an article about speech. And the title of the book would be, I know this isn't right speech, but... <laughs> uh, a lot of conversations among Buddhists begin with that phrase. And it's actually an invitation to look at the gray areas. And the gray areas are the areas where we are, what, exaggerating? Where we speak half-truths? Where we don't say something important? Where there are omissions? And maybe it can be not only in talking with others, but it can also be that there may be parts of our, there may be parts of our life, parts of our lives that, in which we're not even truthful to ourselves that this quality of truthfulness is not just towards others, but it's also to ourselves. Am I really being truthful with how important uh, it is to do something or this part of my life? Or am I really being honest about whether this part of my life is fulfilled? And so we can use the guideline of truthfulness not just to look into our speech, but also into look at how we are, as it were, in our internal speech with ourselves. We can remember that... uh, in a lot of the world, truthfulness is not always adhered to. You know, and we, we don't actually have to look too much further than our own government. Uh, you know, that in some ways it seems that lying has become routine. It's sad to say. And I, I was reflecting some uh, on something I read uh, a few years ago when there was a case that came before the Supreme Court. When some of you may know, um, know of this, there was a woman named Jennifer Harbury whose um, husband was Guatemalan, and he was connected with the Guatemalan uh, guerrillas. And he was eventually captured and uh, killed uh, by the Guatemalan military in concert with the CIA. And she pressed a suit because when she had gone to inquire uh, of the State Department, they had not told her the truth. They had not told her and they, that she was able to show that they knew that he was captured, but they, were not able, but they would not tell the truth. And she brought a suit, before the, which went all the way to the Supreme Court, saying that a citizen has the right to expect truth from one's own government. And this is what... Um, she, huh? she lost. She lost. Let me, I'll tell the story. <laughs> um, the government very vigorously argued against the idea that truth should be expected from the government. And this is, um, 
um, the Solicitor General of the United States argued in the Supreme Court that um, it, this should be rejected because if, um, if government officials were expected to be truthful, they would, um, th- that would reduce governmental candor because officials would, would, would um, fear being sued. And uh, the Solicitor General said he warned the court to use utmost caution. This is a quote. He warned the court to use utmost caution before interpreting the Constitution as guaranteeing citizens a truthful response to inquiries from the government. Hmm. And, And so we can see in some way why truthfulness is so important. I mean... I think we can, if we were honest with ourselves, we could, we could see that we're not always truthful and perhaps we might have a lot of the same motivations not to be truthful that the government was expressing, right? I mean, it's not like, it's not like we're entirely separate. And so we can see that um, why is truthfulness important? It's really required for having trusting relationships between people. You know, that, that truthfulness really um, makes possible strong connections with others and this quality of trust. We know that also that in the context of meditation, uh, often when we're not truthful, it takes enormous energy to protect an original lie. You know, that as it were, the mind, you know, there's a way that being truthful simplifies our lives. Have you noticed that? That when we speak truthfully, we can, um, we don't have to have this vast maze of further explanations and reasons. There's the way that when the, the untruthful mind proliferates and it sometimes leads to agitation and makes it harder uh, to really just be with ourselves and go more deeply into ourselves. So truthfulness is very crucial. But truthfulness by itself is really not enough. And I, th- I think it's very helpful to have these other four qualities Truthfulness without some of the qualities of helpfulness and kindness and warmth becomes what we tend to call dumping. Do you know that phrase? (laughs) That we can be extremely truthful, but not very kind or helpful. We can be truthful, actually, in a way that's connected with wanting to harm another. And so it's extremely helpful to combine the quality of truthfulness with the quality of helpfulness. And here's, here's what the Buddha said about the second quality of helpfulness. Abandoning malicious speech, one abstains from malicious speech. One does not repeat elsewhere what one has heard here in order to divide those people from these, nor does one repeat to these people what one has heard elsewhere in order to divide these people from those. <laughs> Thus one is someone who reunites those who are divided, a promoter of friendships, who enjoys concord, rejoices in concord, delights in concord, a speaker of words that promote concord, that promote um, good relationships. And so when we look to the quality of helpfulness, again, we, when we work with that guideline, it sets up a kind of mindfulness. And we're, we can particularly look at the extent to which our we can really look at our motivation in speaking. To what extent am I really trying to be helpful? And to what extent am I trying to harm 
Or to what extent am I trying just to say something to further my own self-image, to further some idea of myself that I want the other to have? To what extent am I really motivated by trying to be helpful? And so we can look when we speak, when we set up mindfulness in regard to speech, we again begin to see some of the uh, gray areas, the extent to which we may not be so helpful. A lot of the work that we do when we take on speech as a practice isn't so much trying to be perfect in our speech. It's very much like meditation in that way. It's more that we set the intention and then we're mindful, just like Mary was talking about um, this quality of just noticing what's there. And there's this wonderful teacher that both Mary and I have been inspired by. Some of you may have met Achan Sumedho, who's a Western teacher in his 70s now, really a senior teacher in the lineage. And he has this phrase that says, what is mindfulness practice? It's noticing it's like this. And he has this turn of his hand. He says, it's like this. And so it's, it's really the spirit of our practice. We're not trying to so much to get perfect speech, but we're trying to see what our speech is. And so it's fine, and sometimes it's uh, humbling, you know, to notice our speech. I remember when, when I was first really motivated to start giving attention to speech was about probably, uh, well, it was a little over 20 years ago, and I was meditating a lot, and I had a, fr- a very close friend. Sh- she says, you know, I don't think you're really mindful with your speech. And I was taking the back and but when I actually reflected, I thought she was right. And it really, that actually, in some sense, that was, that was kind of tough love speech. <laughs> you know, that was really, really motivating me to look carefully. And it was somewhat humbling just to notice my speech. Oh, my God, I'm, here's what I'm doing. And that's really the spirit of our practice. It's the spirit of our practice on the cushion. It's the spirit of our practice in the world. Not trying to be perfect, but to really notice. Because the idea is that when we notice carefully... There's a natural wisdom that develops in which we gradually let go of what's not helpful and gradually learn to further those ways of being that are helpful, that are conducive to our own well-being, our own freedom, and those of others, that of others. And so we can think about these guidelines uh, both in terms of what we avoid. So we might avoid harmful speech. But we also can say, let me motivate myself more positively to develop speech that is helpful. The third guideline is that of speaking with warmth or kindness. We might say with the spirit of loving kindness as we, as we develop in our practice. And it's to, uh, to have that quality of heart be present, be present more. And we'll, we'll focus some more on that in the afternoon. Speaking with an open heart, with a kind heart. This is the part of the Buddha's passage where he talks about this. Abandoning harsh speech, one abstains from harsh speech. One speaks such words as are gentle, pleasing to the ear, and lovable, as go to the heart, are courteous, desired by many, and agreeable to many. Abandoning harsh speech, one abstains from harsh speech. One speaks such words as are gentle, pleasing to the ear, lovable, as go to the heart, are courteous, desired by many and agreeable, uh, agreeable um, too many. <laughs> and this quality of kindness also sets up our mindfulness for us. One of the reflections that you might have as you listen to these, or you might say, 
where am I strong and where am I not so strong? You know, which of these four qualities do I do pretty well at and where do I need some work? You may say, I need work in all four. (laughs) Uh, When I was, uh, a year or two ago, I was working with a small group that I work with on an ongoing basis that meets in my home and we were doing speech practice for about three or four months just focusing on speech practice all the time. I had people, people in the group were motivated to write these four qualities on their hands as they were talking with teenage daughters. <laughs> they would, they'd be talking to the daughter and they said, truthfulness, helpfulness, warmth, you know, a good timing. <laughs> probably the, the fourth is probably the most important with, with teenagers. And so uh, what I noticed when I looked at myself was that and I, ha- I asked myself, which, which of these am I stronger at and which am I not so strong at? I said, well, I'm pretty good with truthfulness and helpfulness, but sometimes when I get busy, I don't think I'm really w- that warm. You know, maybe I'm busy, you know, I, when I'm busy, I want to be efficient. I, don't, you know, I just want to get things done. And I can be helpful and truthful, but I'm not always so warm. And so that reflection led me to say, well, let me focus on this, this other quality and let me bring that out a little more. And so we can really look carefully at, the, at speech that isn't so kind, that's, that may be harsh or that sometimes um, may be um, sarcastic, you know, that may not really have that, that quality of the warm heart. And again, just to look. And it can be so powerful. There is, um, I want to tell a short story uh, of warm speech. Um, this is a story I, learned, I heard from my mother when I, when I was telling her that I was working with speech. She told me this story. And she was uh, at a lecture by a man named Robert Lifton, who was actually one of my college teachers. Some, I don't know if some of you know him. He worked a lot, he's a psychiatrist who worked a lot on human rights and um, has um, written a number of very beautiful books. He, he coined the phrase psychic numbing. Uh, when he's, he did a long study of um, the effects of nuclear war and a certain kind of psychic numbing. And he was giving a lecture. And during the question period, the first question came from a woman. And she asked the question that, to most people, according to my mother in, in the audience, indicated that she hadn't really understood the talk at all. And there was kind of a collective groan that <laughs> went up in the... Uh, in the room. And everyone expected him to say, you know, that's not really what I meant. You know, I was saying something different. And he spoke in a really warm way to her. He spoke with a lot of kindness. He basically said something, well, you know, I, I could see how you would um, be saying that. I could really say it really, it really makes some sense. But, you know, um, and it really is related to some of what I was wanting to talk about. And he, he then found a way to actually say what he actually had said, but in a way which didn't put her down, which, in a way which was not demeaning. And that had so much impact, that 30 seconds, that 30-second interaction that when my mother heard about speech, that instantly came to mind. It had a huge impact, and it's really stayed with me. So that quality of, of kindness or warmth in our speech. And the last quality of this um, speech, the last guideline is that uh, we could call appropriateness or good timing, um, clarity of intention with our speech. And the Buddha uh, talked about it particularly in 
terms of, um, he, he used, well, it's translated as abandoning gossip. <laughs> and I'll have a word to say about that. This is what the Buddha said for this last quality. Abandoning gossip, one abstains from gossip. One speaks at the right time, speaks what is fact, speaks on what is good, speaks on the Dhamma and the discipline. At the right time, one speaks such words as are worth recording. <laughs> Remember that one? Worth recording. Reasonable, moderate, and beneficial. So here I'm particularly focusing on, on the question of timing, appropriateness. And the Buddha also pointed to the quality of um, being careful about being distracted. Sort of, I would interpret uh, his use of the word gossip more in that sense, that some of what we call gossip I think of as just uh, passing along neighborhood news. I don't think that's a problem. But I think it's when we use gossip negatively, it points to the quality of just being endlessly yabbering. That's my technical definition of gossip, endless yabbering. <laughs> and so it's, the, um, it's a sense of um, we can ask ourselves, when is my speech sort of distracted? When am I caught up in just talking endlessly? And we can think of you know, the use of the media in that way also. How much am I uh, really using the media in a way to stay distracted, to not really be clear, to not really have a sense of appropriateness. And there are a lot of things that we can use to really work with questions of timing. I think having clarity of intention is a very good way to work with this fourth guideline. And so what I'd like to do now is to do a practice. And we, uh, what I'd like to do is to have you, first of all, Uh, Just take a moment for reflection. Take a moment to reflect on the question, how might I grow in my practice of speech? What would, how would I like to develop more fully to have speech be a practice for me in my life, in my everyday life? You might reflect on what am I good at, what were their difficulties, and so forth. And to do this exercise now, I'd like to invite you just to find someone near you, and we'll have a a dyad, two people together. So just find someone. 
where we, we were even until about five minutes ago. <laughs> we have, we have, um, so Mary, we could either, you could either go with someone or we could do a group of three. Someone, um, someone just left about five minutes ago. Okay. Could you meet, meet with one other group? And there was a person who just left a few minutes ago. She may have just gone to the bathroom. We're not sure. What? Oh. Oh, dear. Okay, we should, um, we should check with her, yeah. What? Okay, but we'll have to pass on. These are, these are important practices. Okay. So you can um, say hello to the person and give your name. And what we'll do is we'll have each person will have a chance to be a speaker and a listener for about uh, four minutes. Four minutes each. The topic that you'll talk about is what you just reflected on. Namely, how might I grow in my bringing of speech to be a practice for me? How, how might I do that? That'll be your content. And let the person who is closer to me go first. Okay, so... <laughs> so <laughs> So raise your hand if you're going first. There should be one person in each group going first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the group of three do three minutes each. Keep track of your own time. Okay. We'll do. Well, um, we're not starting yet. I'll give some further instructions. So everyone knows who's going first and who's going second. So the the first person to be a speaker uh, will have these guidelines. I want you to, we'll have a moment to reflect on intentions right before we start speaking. And I'd like you to think about those four guidelines. Truthfulness, helpfulness, kindness or warmth, and appropriateness. And your, your um, guidance for this exercise is to have those guidelines in mind and then just to speak. If you're a listener, here are your, here are your directions. You'll really, you don't need to talk. You, um, in fact, we'll, we'll ask you not to speak, but really just to listen. If, it's, if you feel drawn to, say, to nod your head and say, mm-hmm, and so on, that's Okay. But it's really just, you don't have to speak, it's just to listen. And your role will be to listen and keep a little bit, if you can, a little bit of awareness in your body. And a little, see if you can have a little bit of awareness of anything going on internally. And if you want to, if it's helpful, you can also listen with the notion of being kind and warm. <laughs> but it's basically, your, your major role is just to listen carefully. So, any questions about the instructions? Do you tell us when the four minutes are up? 
Yeah. What I'll do is I will let you know when there's about 30 seconds left. I'll say 30 seconds left. And then I'll ring a bell at four minutes. And then we'll have a chance to um, switch roles. And then we'll have a chance to uh, talk a little bit together in the, in the group about how that was. Any other questions? Yeah. The question is, what, how would you like to develop further or grow in your own practice of speech? It might have to do with what, what you do well, where, where there are challenges, and so forth. And if you're speaking, you might want to also keep a little bit of attention to the body. You know, we, we've been mostly in silence for a day. And sometimes, the, we'll, as we'll see, the grounding in the body is very, very helpful for speech. Please, was there another question? Right. Stay with the four. (laughs) Anything else before we start? Now we're going to work with intentions. And the group of three, in between, when you shift to another person, give about 30 seconds or a minute for everyone to set intentions. Okay, but but I'll do that for the groups of two. I'll, I'll do that. Myself, So I'd like you right now just to take a little bit of time to set your intentions. And you'll find that this will do this a lot during these days. The setting of intention is a very powerful tool for daily life practice. So set your intention for the next uh, four minutes. Your role as a speaker or your role as a, or as a listener.
About 30 seconds. If you could finish your sentence, if you wish, and and say thank you to your partner. And now we'd like to uh, switch roles. So again, if you're uh, a speaker, you're directions are to work with your response to that question, how might I grow, how might I develop in my practice of speech? If you can, keep a little bit of awareness of your body as you speak and work with the guidelines, the four guidelines, truthfulness, helpfulness, kindness or warmth, and appropriateness. If you're a listener... Again, you'll be silent except for uh-huh and nodding the head and so forth. And you, your role also is to have a little bit of body awareness and to, if you can, listen internally for any commentary that you have. So any questions about the uh, instructions for the roles? Okay, so let's... Again, we'll take about 30 seconds, a minute, to uh, set intentions. So take time now just to set your intention of how you'll, how, how you'll speak now. Okay.
okay. I'd just like to invite uh, any reflections that you might have had. We'll just take a few reflections, and then we'll actually go back into silence and um, 
for the next exercise training, we're going to do one more exercise and we'll hook you up with, um, so we'll have a partner and we'll try to work out uh, so that uh, during our interactive times, uh, you shift your work, can trade your work to someone else. And Mary, very beautifully, is now doing your work down in the kitchen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we can thank her. Uh, but we'll work that out uh, before tomorrow. And is there anyone who has uh, a work between 4 and 5 p.m.? Okay, great. Oh, you do. Daniel. What? Uh, do you want to take care of that yourself? Okay. If there's any problem, let me know as soon as possible. Okay. Because it's important to be here for the interactive times. So, any, any reflections? We'll just take a few reflections. Anything you noticed uh, you'd like to, to share with others, please? I was just struck by the power of someone speaking and being listened to. Yeah. Because my partner said that she felt it very, very helpful to just to speak what she, what she said. And all she was doing was, was speaking her truth and being, being mm. listened to. Yeah. In, the, in the silence, there was no questions, there was no, no conversation whatsoever. Yeah. Thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Power. Did everyone hear? Okay. Yeah. Just very powerful. Some. I've heard it said that what we most, what we most want, in all of our lives, is to be heard, and to be cared for. And that's it. And this is a big piece. So. Please. I thought it was helpful to set the intention as a listener mm-hmm. first was good because I oftentimes I'm thinking about what I'm going to say rather than right. listening. Mm-hmm. So that made me a better listener. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah, I hope something that we all take home a little bit in a little deeper way is the power of intention. And just even the 30 second setting of intention in daily life activities is incredibly helpful. Please, uh, Kim. Yeah, we're reflecting on just how hard it is to stay in your body while you're talking. Yeah. Um, and for both of us, it was a little bit easier for the listening, but mm-hmm. there's something to do with the talking. As soon as my mouth opens, just like my awareness of my body is just kind yeah. of And that's something which can be developed through intention and further training. Yeah. Please, Eric. Yeah. Uh, I noticed my strong tendency to match or mirror mm-hmm. how I'm perceiving the other person in terms of gesture, facial expression, mm-hmm. tone, and all the rest. And having spoken first, I spoke more from a sense of where I was, but I notice also how much I tend to project myself as I imagine the person mm. might want to hear me. Yeah. <laughs> so did anyone else notice a few <laughs> of your own psychological tendencies? So this, this is mindfulness practice, right? And this is just the... And so much of this is just giving the attention to the process, which we don't normally do. Yeah. Please. Just one point. It was quite hard to be truthful with yourself. Yeah. Um, how you feel when, when um, you often don't... Oh, well, I don't know very much about myself. <laughs> There's a whole lot I don't know. Mm. So my motives are not... are often obscure to me. Mm. So... Mm. So that's a big one. That's a big one. But thank you for. Did everyone hear? Yeah. I think that's that's an important point. Um, David, um, it reverses by itself. 
Okay. And um, just to say that sometimes I think what we can do is be as truthful as possible and open to the notion that as the conversation goes on or as life goes on, you may suddenly realize, oh, that's not what I am or who I am or what I need to say. I need to say this. And then the truthfulness is in the willingness to change and to say, well, this is actually, that wasn't quite right. Now this is right. And um, I think, you know, my sense is that's true for all of us as we grow and age that different layers show up. So you do the best you can. Please, David. Yeah, uh, I just wonder about the difference between different types of conversations. Like yeah. in this particular conversation, I was really trying to go inward, really yeah. reflect on me and who I am. Yeah. And I actually kind of lost awareness of my partner. And I, I don't know if I could have done that with a tape recorder, in effect. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if I was dealing with something between us or that had mm-hmm. potential for conflict. Then, then I would want to be much more riveted on my partner. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about us as opposed to this I took as me about me more. Mm-hmm. Was this, this as a speaker? Yes, as a speaker. Right? Yeah. 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 As a listener, I could have definitely, mm-hmm. you know, I was absorbed in what he was saying. But as a speaker, I was really pretty much just mm-hmm. going more and more inward. Mm-hmm. And I lost the sense of both my body and my partner. I don't know. Well, I think that, that that seems helpful because there are different kinds of speech and, they, and that seems, it seems like it would be appropriate to, to have the degree of attention to the other shift depending on the intention or the purpose. So that's, that seems like something helpful to note. It's not as if we should always um, have the same model. Right? So that be one or two more. Yeah, please. Jeff? Um, didn't really talk about this, but me aware that maintaining the same intention throughout a conversation is a challenge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, given some some overriding, let's say, need to project something positively about myself. Yeah. Uh, I find that another's reaction to what I say often changes my intention in the middle of a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Did everyone hear? I. I Maybe um, speak loudly, so I, loudly enough, so I so I won't have to repeat that. Uh, but I think that's good to know. People are hearing well. Um, yeah. So again, um, intentions are about inclining ourselves in a certain direction, and they're the kind. It's a practice just to work with intentions. It can be, like we were saying in terms of meditation, that we continually redirect ourselves. And it's not about producing perfection or producing, you know, complete achievement according to some criterion. And also that we, um, in the course of working with intentions, we open up things that we notice more. We notice, and so it's, it's great that you were noticing what you're noticing, and that, that, is, that is common. Yeah. Um, do you want to add anything, Mary? I, I actually have, we have a piece of business to do that we need to do before noon. Okay. Um, okay. Um, so what I'd like to do is to have us go back into silence just for a moment.
And as we sit, notice if there are reverberations from the speaking. Notice what's happening, if there are thoughts or memories or ideas, just to notice and very gently to return to breathing. I would invite uh, us all to take any situations in which there's speech going on 
during the retreat, including being at work this very moment, as an invitation to practice, to work with some of these guidelines and to take this as your training laboratory for after you leave. So if there's speech uh, during the work period or um, later when we're interact, we'll work with these same practices as foundational practices for the rest of the days.